That's great. So the question this morning that we want to get started with is this. How many of you are tired this morning? <laughs> Folks, it's 11-something, 11 11.20 in the morning here, and we're tired already. There's a lot of day left to live. I hope you realize that. You know, the truth of the matter is that um, we are tired. Part of it is because of Christmas. Christmas just feels pretty full, and I think this year it feels even maybe more full than in the past. Like last year, we were still on like the pared down version of Christmas, and you know, nobody was really having Christmas parties or anything like that. And, and this year, it feels like to me is like we're, we're making up for it. Everything that we missed last year, we're going to try to make sure that we squeeze in this year. And the problem is with last year, we got out of like Christmas shape, whatever that is, and now we're struggling to kind of get our groove back. But it's not just Christmas, is it? We're just weary in general, and I think our, our world is weary, and I mentioned the pandemic, and the pandemic has left us a little weary in so many different ways. We've lost 800,000 Americans. That's like mind-boggling, isn't it? And it's touched so many people, and, and I think every one of us, it's touched in some way or another, and it just doesn't want to end. It just like keeps coming up with new versions and new ideas, like, like, this, like this disease is just ongoing, and we're like tired of it, and it won't go away, and, and all of the noise that comes with it, because everybody has an opinion about this, and has an opinion about this, and we should deal with it this way, we should deal with it this way, and it's just like, it just blows up, and it spills over into the political scene, and, and everybody's just yelling and screaming about everything, it seems like, it's like, okay, enough, 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 and we're just tired of it, at least I am. And I'm sure that you're tired of it too. And the opinions fly and everybody's sharing this and everybody's sharing that and what they think they should do. And, and here's my opinion. What if we just don't have so many opinions? But I don't know, maybe that's paradoxical. I don't know exactly how that works. And I get worn out by these things. And I get worn out by the meanness and the stubbornness and the thoughtlessness that we see so often in life. And then we add to this some of the recent tragedies we've been through here in Oxford. And as we've watched even this past week down in Kentucky with the tornadoes, and it's like, wow. It just starts to feel heavy, and it starts to wear on you. And to me, it just drains me somewhat even emotionally, and it leaves me feeling tired. And not only that, it's cold outside, and it's dark. And I don't really mind winter. I like the snow. The one thing about winter I don't like is how dark it is. And we're like two days away from like when we can turn the corner and it starts getting like 15 seconds lighter every day. Uh, and it feels like it goes that way until about mid-June. And then all of a sudden it, it gets light again. But there's so much darkness and, we, and so much weariness. And we feel it even in the spiritual world too. I think for a lot of us, we hope that the pandemic might be something that actually spurred us on. And it was like, you know what? We got to kind of get our spiritual house in order here. Look at, look at what's happened to our world. And, and we're Christians and we can live above it. And then it would maybe kind of like be a, a revitalization of the church world or faith. And we found it to be actually the opposite. And we even have seen, and it's across the board here, where, struggles, where churches have struggled even to get back to some semblance of normal. And where everybody I talk to is like, are you back at full strength? No, not at all. And we feel weary because of that. And we can even turn it into some of our personal issues. And that brings weariness to us too. You know, maybe the job that you go to. 
that you've gone through for the last 35 years and you're just tired of it. And it's like, okay, I just do the same thing over and over and over again. And maybe it's the stress that comes with it or maybe it's the people that you work with in these moments, but we just feel weary and worn down. Sometimes it's relationships. And I think all of us in our lives, we have relationships that just come with friction and come with a certain amount. Of, it requires a certain amount of emotional energy just to, to deal with certain people, and, and we feel worn down. And maybe even at Christmas, maybe that's even describing family sometimes, unfortunately, and we feel worn out. And really, after listening to me for four minutes speaking here, you're ready to go home and go to bed. It's like, I got I to gotta get somehow revived here. Well, don't do that, okay? And don't catch a quick nap where you are right there. Because I have some things that we want to look at in the Christmas story that I think can be super, super helpful to us as we deal with weariness. And we're going to be talking about three simple things in the next three weeks. They're all pulled from the Christmas story, but they're all ideas that we can take from the story that will help us feel a little more rested, maybe a little more revived, maybe a little less tired. So here's what we're going to do this morning. Everybody take a big, deep breath. Okay. Don't you feel better? I just lost three people. <laughs> but don't you feel so much better here? And we're going to talk about this. A weary world rejoices. Now, that is not a Bible verse. So we pull that phrase out. We pull it out of a song, Oh Holy Night. Maybe it's your favorite uh, Christmas carol. I know for a lot of people it is. And it's just a little line that's tucked into that song, and I love it, though. Thrill of hope, a weary world rejoices. And he refers, the, 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 the writer was not actually a songwriter, he was a poet, but he refers back to that time where Christ was born, a weary world. And it was a weary world then. And I think it was a weary world when, when the poet writes his, his poem there, O Holy Night, back in the 1840s. And it's still a weary world here today. But it's a weary world that because of Christmas can find joy and can find rejoicing. And so we've got three suggestions for you here in the next three weeks, but I want to start with the first suggestion, and here it is. If you're ready, if you're feeling weary, throw a party. And you're all sitting there like, yeah, right. I'm going to throw a party because that's just one more thing to plan. I've got to make the food. I've got to get the invites out. First of all, we have to decide who's coming, who's not coming. Who invited us last year? Are we going to invite them? And we go through all of this. Then we've got to come up with maybe a few games to play. Oh, we've got to decorate the house. Maybe we've got to clean the house. That'd probably be a good idea too. And then there's the cleanup that comes with that. Yeah, a Christmas party sounds like a really great way to get over fatigue, doesn't it? And everybody, you're going to come out of that one like, I, I should have thought of this a long time ago. I've got so much energy now. That's not what I'm talking about. In fact, I'm not really talking so much about a party as I'm talking about a celebration. A Christmas celebration. And they're not really the same things, although often when we celebrate, we throw a party. But you know what? There are other ways to celebrate this morning, and hopefully you could take some comfort in that because we could celebrate without having to wear ourselves out with a party. Now, have you thought about this? Have you thought about how much of the Bible is about celebrations? Let's go all the way back to Genesis chapter 1. The creation story, and God created the world, and again, the first day, he created the heavens and the earth, and God stepped back at the end of the day, and he saw that it was good. 
And there's this little moment of mini celebration where God stops what he's doing and goes, yeah, yeah, I like that. And then we go on, and so he creates the, the, the trees and, and, and the rivers, and he creates the mountains, and he creates the animals and the birds and the fish. And at the end of every day, he steps back, and there's that little mini celebration like, yes, this is good. And it's written right into that story, that pause of celebration. And then he gets where he creates man, and he steps back then and says, "Why well, this is really good. And there's that celebration. When the Israelites were brought out of Egypt... God called Moses up onto the mountain, gave him the Ten Commandments and a whole lot else. But in that whole lot else, there were three feasts that the Jews were to celebrate every single year. God said, this is going to be part of your worship experience. This is going to be part of your relationship with me. You are going to celebrate. It's a command. And so three years uh, or three times every year, the people, the Jews would stop and they would celebrate because celebration is such an important part of God's story and it's such an important part of our story. And you could keep tracing this through the Old Testament, different celebrations. Do you remember when David was finally able to bring back the ark that had been, that had been closeted away? He celebrated so wildly that his wife despised him. And what did he say? I can get even more undignified than this in my celebrations. When Solomon finished the temple, there was a huge celebration that day. When Nehemiah and the people finished building the wall, there was a celebration that took place. And all through the Bible, we see this idea of celebration. It's a biblical idea because it's a God idea. And when we get to the, the uh, Christmas story... The Christmas story is filled with celebrations as well. Have you thought about this? How many celebrations actually go on in the Christmas story? And if you haven't thought about that, I'm going to help you think about that this morning. So we're going to look at Luke chapter 1 and chapter 2. This is Luke's account of the, crea or it's not of the creation story, of the, of the incarnation story, of the Christmas story. And it's interesting to me that as we work through this, and we're going to just kind of highlight some verses as we go, but as we work through this, how many celebrations actually take place in these two chapters? And, and we see this with, with five people or five groups of people. And so let me just point them out as we get started here this morning. If you'll follow along with me here in Luke chapter 1, we find the first person who celebrates. Verse number 41, and at the sound of Mary's greeting, Elizabeth's child leaped within her, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And the first person we see celebrating in the Christmas story is actually John the Baptist, in his mother's womb still. And so the story we know, if we're familiar with Christmas, is Mary and Joseph had this baby, but before Mary and Joseph were found out that they were going to have a baby, it was Zachariah and Elizabeth, who were too old now to have babies, and they prayed about it, and God had an answer to that prayer. But Zacharias was a priest, and he went into the, the temple one day. In fact, the one day he get one shot in his career, and it was that day that he went into the temple to, to, to offer the, the worship before God, and God said, okay. You're going to have a baby, and that baby was John the Baptist, and that baby would become the forerunner, the one who would go before Jesus Christ. And it's this where we pick up the story, and where his mother is carrying him, and Mary, though, carrying Jesus, 
walks into Elizabeth's house, and the baby actually celebrates. I'm not sure Elizabeth appreciated that. But there's a celebration that actually goes on in her womb. Crazy thought, isn't it? Well, it's not the only celebration in the story. If you keep reading there in Luke chapter 1, you get down to verses 46 and 47. Mary has been told by the angel she's going to have a baby, and I'm sure has, has endured a lot of sideways looks for anybody who's heard the news. But she gets away from her hometown, and she heads off to visit with her cousin, who happens to be Elizabeth. And there she finally gets some time to be by herself. And there I think we see that she has some time to reflect. And she writes down this poem. Maybe it was a song. I don't know. But she writes down this poem. And what does she say in this poem? Mary responded, Oh, how my soul praises the Lord. This is verse 46. Verse number 47. How my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. And we have this celebration going on. It's just Mary. Just Mary in the room, but she's celebrating Christmas. We keep reading into Luke chapter 2. Jesus has come now to the stable. He's been born, but there's the next event that takes place. In verse number 13 and 14, the angels celebrate. And this one feels like a pretty big party. The last one was just Mary, but it says in verse number 13, suddenly... The angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. And we see a huge celebration going on here where the angel host of heaven fill the sky. And we always say that they sing. It doesn't say that they sang. Maybe they chanted. For the rest of us who can't sing, that just gives me hope that in the celebrations... But there's this celebration that echoes across the sky, and this is one that we turn tune into, but it's around the story of Christmas. We could keep reading here in the chapter because verse number 20 is what we're going to look at next. But the angels came and they made this declaration to some shepherds who went to the manger, who went and found baby Jesus there. And they return, and they return and say this. The, uh, it says this, the shepherds went back to their flocks. Glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen. It was just as the angel had told them. And there's a celebration that's going on in the fields there after they have visited with the baby. Maybe you've experienced a celebration like this after an event, maybe that you went to with somebody else, and it was just like so incredible that you just keep talking about it. And like the celebration just continues. And so they have this continuing celebration. When you get down to verse number 28 of chapter 2, there's a man who appears on the scene by the name of Simeon. And it's been revealed to him that he's not going to die until he actually sees the Messiah. And Jesus is brought to the temple and he meets Simeon. And it says this, Simeon was there. He took the child in his arms and he praised God saying, Sovereign Lord, now let your servant die in peace as you have promised. And there's a celebration there. But he wasn't the only one. Also at the temple that day was a woman named Anna. And Anna was also old. She was a widow. I think it says she was 84 years old. And she came along just as Simeon was talking, verse number 38, was talking with Mary and Joseph. And she began praising God. And she talked about the child to everyone who had been waiting, expecting for God to rescue Jerusalem. And we have another celebration going on there in the temple. And so we just read through five different instances of celebration that surround the Christmas story. 
So what I'd like to do this morning is go back and look at these characters and say, what exactly was it that they were celebrating? Because all of those things that they were celebrating are reasons for us to be celebrating as well. And then I want to finish this morning by looking at five things that celebration actually does for us and how celebration addresses this issue of weariness in our lives. In Luke 141, we see that John the Baptist celebrated the presence of God. When Mary came into the room bearing Jesus, carrying Jesus, John the Baptist celebrated at the arrival of Jesus, at the coming of his presence. And this is really what Christmas is about, right? The presence of God. He came to be with us. He came to be one of us. And he came to step into man's story. And that involves all of us and includes all of us. And so there is a reason for us to celebrate this morning the fact that Jesus has come. And we talk about that so much that it actually becomes cliche. Okay, Jesus is when he, uh, Christmas is when Jesus came to earth. And yes, Jesus comes to our story. And, and yeah, that's great. And, and, and we appreciate that. But if you thought about that recently, just stopped and pondered. That you have a God who's so concerned about you that he sent his own son to step into your story, to be with you. We've talked about this a lot this fall. We've talked about this idea of shame, but in each of all of these shame stories that, that God actually comes to people. But this is, this is the story of the Bible. It's a God who comes to us. And Jesus has come to us. And we can celebrate the presence of God. And I think we need to do that because we need to live with a greater awareness of the fact that he is with us. Actually, through the Holy Spirit, he is in us. And we are not alone. Sometimes it's that aloneness that wears us out. And we don't have to feel that weariness. Well, we look in Luke 1, 46 and 47, we see that Mary celebrated the favor of God. We talked about favor uh, back a few weeks ago when we celebrated our day of thanks here at the church and all the different ways that God favors us. But favor is really just another way to say grace. And Mary celebrated the fact that God came into her story and picked a poor peasant girl that probably nobody knew. There was probably nothing particularly significant about her. And God says, no, 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 but, but I'm going to go ahead and choose you and favor you. And Mary celebrates this fact that God had indeed chosen her and as a Christ follower, as somebody that is part of God's family, you can celebrate that fact this morning too, that God has chosen you. Now think about that. As God looks out over heaven and the billions and billions of people who inhabit this planet, and he says, I want you, and I want you, and I want you, and I want you. And then he stops right in front of you and says, yeah, and I want you too. And Christmas is about this idea that God came, but it's the fact that God actually chose us. And this morning, you have reason to celebrate because God has chosen you and God has blessed you. He has favored you. It wasn't you. It wasn't because you were so attractive and so winsome. It was because he simply wanted you. God picked you. 
That's reason to celebrate. In Luke 2, 13 and 14, we see the angels celebrating what? We see the angels celebrating God's story. It's interesting in the Bible we're told about angels. It's surprising how little we're told about angels, though. We know that they exist in a spirit world that we can't see, and evidently they can see us. And, and we're told throughout Scripture that, that there's these two worlds, that, that in, in God's world they're combined, but we see them as separately. And we don't really know that much about what the angels knew about this story. Did they know from, from the time of Eden how the story was going to play out? We don't know. But we do know that that night they had a good idea. And they showed up in the heavens to do what? To applaud the shepherds? No. They showed up in the heavens to praise God for what he was actually doing, for sending his son. And I think it was the angels going, whoa, this is an incredible story. Hey, check this out. And only a few shepherds were listening, but all of the heavens were listening. As the angels shouted about God's story. And what a story. What a story that a God comes down to, a, to, to, to earth where the men had rebelled against him. And says, okay, we're going to figure out how to fix this. And where man had sinned, and God's like, well, you know what? Man can't do anything about his sin. So how about if I send my son and Jesus, who had no sin, became sin for us to solve our sin problem. And I think the angels saw this all laid out in front of them. And they celebrated God's story. But if you stopped in your story to celebrate what God's done just for you personally, the whole idea of the cross was not just for the world. It was for us as individuals. And so that's another reason to celebrate this morning. The shepherds, the shepherds celebrated God's humility. I think greatness at its finest is greatness at its humblest. And when you have somebody who has to to put on a big show and to, and to have his name in lights and to be famous and well-known, that doesn't speak to their greatness. It speaks to their vanity. Greatness, I think, is found in smallness, not in pettiness, but smallness and humility. We're, we don't have to impress other people, and we, we don't have to have the bands playing, and where it can just be simple, and it can just be a stable, and it can just be... A baby? And it can just be shepherds who are the lowest of the low in society. And I think the shepherds celebrated a God who's big enough to create the universe and yet small enough to come as a baby. Small enough to come to the insignificant. And I qualify when it comes to insignificant. And I think all of us qualify in the same way. When Jesus came to the lowest of the low, and the angels came and announced it, and, and the shepherds came to that stable, and there was one message there. It was simply this. God saying, you know what? You matter to me. You may not matter to the world. You may not matter to anybody else in this town. You may not matter to your family. I don't know what the deal is, but you matter. You matter to me. And the shepherds celebrate the humility of God that engages with us. Nothing special about us. 
And yet God comes and says, hey, we can have a relationship. We can actually be friends. What a crazy, crazy thought. Well, Simeon and Anna, what did they celebrate? They celebrated, they celebrated God's redemption. Simeon was waiting for the Messiah. Anna went through the temple telling what? This is the redemption of Jerusalem. This is what we've been waiting for. This is our salvation. This is our forgiveness. This is our hope of eternal life. This is the hope that we can live for God, with God forever someday. And they celebrated God's redemption. And if we need a reason to celebrate this morning, we don't have any reason to celebrate. How about this one? Jesus came to redeem us from our sins, from an eternity without God, to live forever with him, to live forever in relationship. And we can celebrate God's redemption in our stories. So let's just hit the pause button for a minute this morning. We've just talked about five different reasons to celebrate. And you could go back through those stories if you'd like and say, well, what about this reason? Or what about this reason? And those would probably be valid too. But we've talked about God's humility, and we've talked about God's redemption, and we've talked about God choosing us. We've talked about God's presence. Which of those this morning do you need to celebrate? Because that celebration is going to be helpful in overcoming the weariness and the dreariness of this world. Maybe there's other things that you'd add to the list, and I'd encourage you to do that. Let me finish up with this. Here's five reasons why we need to celebrate. And this is to, to, to break out of this weariness that we often live in. The first one is this. Celebration lifts us out of the routine, the monotonous, and the ordinary. And these are really some of the causes of weariness. We just keep doing the same thing every day. We keep watching these sheep. We keep, we keep you know, standing here at, at this machine or, or we're sitting here at this desk and we just keep doing the same thing. In fact, I think this is one of the hardest things that was about the pandemic is, boy, did we get forced into the routine, the monotonous. Do you remember back when you couldn't even remember what day it was? Because it looked so much like the day before. In the day before, and the day before, and celebration breaks us out of that rut, and it helps us to stop actually in every day and to see what's unique and special about it. To say, well, what was today? Well, it was just like the last day. It doesn't need to be, and that's what celebration is about. It breaks us out of those moments. It's interesting to me that as you go back through this story, for the most part, Every person had this day when they got a surprise. I don't think that Mary was looking to be pregnant. I, I don't think the shepherds were out there thinking, I wonder if maybe angels will pop up tonight. That'd be cool. I, you know, Anna and Simeon, they were expecting something, but do you think they were expecting it the day that they went to the temple? But in that day, there was a surprise. And I wonder how many times hidden within our days are surprises that God gives us. And maybe not as, as magnificent as angels appearing in your sky. And if it happens, that's great. But maybe it's just small things that if we would tune in, we would see that there's so many reasons to celebrate. And it would be good for us to interrupt our ordinary with a little celebration, kind of like God said, you know what, that's good, that's good. And maybe we need to have a few, you know what, that's good moments in our lives. But I would encourage us to actually schedule these in. 
Like, you know, maybe you need to just say, okay, I'm going to stop at 2 o'clock this afternoon. I'm going to celebrate. I don't know what, but I'm going to celebrate something that's happened in this day because that celebration is going to bring life back to me. Second thing that celebration does, it opens us to the power of worship or the power of praise. You know, we're actually commanded to praise God. It's not an option. It's not like if everything's going great in your life, go ahead and, you know, let her rip. It's like every day we are supposed to be praising God. Now, why? You ever thought about this? It's not so God can sit up there in heaven and you can praise him and he can feel good about himself. And you say, God, you're an awesome God. Yes, I am. God doesn't need our affirmation. When God asks us to praise him, God, God is, he can enjoy that praise. So I don't want to say the wrong thing. But the greatest beneficiary of Praise is the person expressing it. And when we express praise, it forces us out of ourselves, and it forces us into someone bigger than us. It forces us out of our drudgery, and it pushes us into hope, and it forces us out of our despair, and it pushes us into this realm where we have a sovereign God who is in control of the story, just like he was at Christmas. And praise reminds us of the fact that it doesn't matter what it looks like here because what it looks like up here is what really actually matters. And so we need to experience the power of praise, not what it does for God. And God is pleased by our praise. And I'm sure that God takes joy in that. But it's you and it's me who is benefited the most through praise. Thirdly, celebration redirects our thinking to the goodness of life. When I get weary, do you know what I think about? How hard everything is. I've done this a hundred times now. Oh, I got this situation coming up. Oh, and everything I'm thinking about is on the negative side of things. And what celebration does is says, you know, I'm going to stop looking at that. And I'm going to start looking at what's over here and all of the goodness that I have in life. There's so much good, isn't it? So many good things, and they don't have to be big things. You know, like uh, the laughter of a child. What a gift. And, you know, sometimes you, you see different things that pop up on the Internet or whatever. Somebody will send you a little file of a kid laughing. It's such, like, it brings you joy. And it's that moment of celebration. Maybe it's like looking at that same baby as he grows up and sleeping. Isn't that a weird thing when you're a parent? When you walk in your room and you just enjoy, or walk into your kid's room and just enjoy watching them sleep. And you're like, oh, I wish I could just capture this moment forever. And then they grow up and then you can't even get the door open to the room because it's such a mess. But anyhow, just remember back to when they were a kid, all right? Little and sleeping. But are, are the joys of the, the fresh cup of coffee in the morning. I think God made coffee. I don't particularly like it, but some of you, I think, I mean, you think it's like what we're going to drink forever in heaven, and that's the only thing. But hey, that's okay, because that's the, the simple joys and, and the simple goodnesses of life. The simple goodness of life is, is when you come home and your dog greets you. Or in my case, I go out to the freezer in the garage and come back in the house, and the dog thinks I've been gone for a day. It just goes berserk. But those are the joys of life. 
the, the taste of soup at lunch on a cold winter day, that look that you share with your husband or wife or just the squeeze of a hand, the card that comes from a longtime friend, or maybe it's just a car that starts on a warm or on a cold winter morning and, and actually warms up. Maybe you work far enough away from where you live that it actually warms up before you get to work. Mine warms up just as I pull into the parking lot. It's perfect. But at least I know that it will if I ever need to go on a long trip. But we have these small joys in life. These small joys in life was getting up yesterday morning and looking outside. Wasn't it beautiful? The snow coming down? I know some of you are like, oh, no, I'm going to have to shovel that. Forget about that. Just enjoy watching it come down and the beauty and the magic of even the snow sometimes. It's gathering as a family around the table. It's FaceTiming with a grandchild. It's just even having a job to go off to in the morning. We have so many good things in life. And we get all focused on all of these things that are wearing us out. And celebration pushes us to the place where we say, you know what? We're going to set that on the shelf. We're going to put that in the closet. And we are just going to focus here on all of the good that we enjoy. And that's one of the gifts of celebration. Another thing celebration does is it encourages us to savor the moment. I think one of the, the greatest things about life is one of the hardest things about life. One of the greatest things about life is that you get to move on. So if you've had a bad day, you can kind of put it behind you. But I think one of the, the, the hard parts about life is you have to move on. And you've had a great day, you still have to put that one in the rearview mirror too. But that encourages us, I think pushes us to realize when we're in these moments to grab a hold of them. So when you're in the temple and the Messiah walks in as the baby and the Holy Spirit's like, yep, that's the one, that you're like, yes, this is the moment. Or when you're a shepherd and the angels appear in the sky and you're like, this is the moment. Or where you're Mary and you give birth to this baby. And what does it say in uh, verse number 19 of chapter 2? Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. Kelly and I went to a concert the other night and uh, just for something fun to do. And I remember just sitting in that concert and just thinking, I don't want this concert to end. I was just sitting next to her and just enjoying this. And it was just a moment. But we're given so many of these moments, and Christmas has often got so many moments included in it, doesn't it? And celebration says, hey, just stop right here in this moment and enjoy it and celebrate it. And one of the major themes of Scripture is to say, stop, live here. Collect enough manna for today. And, and you know what? Jesus said is, is stop worrying about tomorrow. There's enough problems in tomorrow. It'll take care of itself. Just live in today and then live in God's provision and God's blessing for today. And when we're weary, we wear ourselves out a lot of times by doing what? By living tomorrow's problems today. And celebration says, be in this moment. Step back and say, ah, this is good. This is good. And then finally, celebration reminds us of what is really most important. And we have all these things that just suck the life out of us, and those leave us weary and exhausted. But if we really look at them, a lot of them, we're like, that's not really that big a deal. That's not really that important. 
That's not going to matter five years from now, and it's certainly not going to matter into eternity. And what celebration does, it says, let's focus on what really does matter. It does matter the fact that God loves me. It does matter the fact that, that I live in relationship with these people. It does matter of all these different things that I have. It does matter about this eternity that I'm going to live into someday. So we live in a weary world, and we live in our own weary worlds. But they're weary worlds that can rejoice if we will just find the, the power and experience the power of celebration. And so this Christmas, as we have six days now before you have to have everything done, ready to go, I would just encourage you in this week, when you feel weary, to stop and say, okay, but how can I celebrate? And celebrate right then in that moment. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, such a story of celebration. We have so many reasons to celebrate. I pray that in this season, especially even in this week, when we feel weary, that you would bring the power of celebration into our stories. Heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior who came to this world, to die for my sin, your sin, every man's sin, so that we could be forgiven as he died for our shame, so that we could have favor. And you just need to invite him into your story. If you've never done that, where you sit in, in a chair here in the auditorium or watch at home, it's a simple prayer, simple conversation between you and God. Jesus, I believe that you came to this world for my sin. Please come into my story and forgive me. You've done that this morning. You have reason to celebrate because you are one of God's children. You've been chosen by him. Wow. But what is it this morning that you really want to focus on to say this is my celebration point? Maybe for the next five, six days. Would you go there? God, give us the courage that we need, the focus that we need, and the reminders that we need to be celebrators of Christmas. We ask this. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with me this morning? So glad that you've come. Careful out there in that parking lot. Um, just a reminder, uh, Christmas Eve services, 11 o'clock service. There's still room in that. And uh, if you can help us with parking, that'd be great. But for, from my house to yours and from Waterford Community Church to you, I want to wish you all a very, very Merry Christmas. I am so blessed to have you in my life, and I want to celebrate all of you this morning as we finish. You're dismissed.